Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Genesis Science Fiction radio show. A service of the Black Science Fiction Society.com website. You should really check it out. There's a lot of content there, things you'll never see anyplace else. This is the October 21st edition. This is my birthday week. So those of you who were holding back so that you could get my address to send me gifts, I'll give that out at the end of the show. But this is the October 21st edition, 2016. And uh, our special guest tonight is Erin Michael Hall. But she said I could call her Melody. So um, I, I, I'm not sure which I'll call her. I'll probably just call her that. Um, and she's an author. She has a, a number of books. Um, I'm going to go ahead and drop your uh, drop your link in the chat room for those people who are going to check it out later. And uh, and welcome to the show. How are you tonight? Well, thank you. I'm very honored, Mr. Hayashi and um, Mr. Sheffield, for inviting me tonight. I'm very oh, excited. <laughs> you have to stop that. You have to stop that. Really, my, I'm I'm just William. I don't stand on ceremony. I'm very informal. Some people will say I'm irreverent. I mean, they're probably right, but please just call me William. I'm I'm really happy to have you because there's two things that I've noticed. Um, I I've found not in large part, but oftentimes um, women creatives have a lot of really cool things to say that we don't normally hear because um, in in a lot of ways it's still a man dominated world. And, and disgustingly so if you pay attention to the uh, one of the candidates for president of the United States. But I'm, I am really, no, you know, the honor is mine because you're, you're a creative of note. You've got, you've got uh, let's see, I see three books here. Um, do you have more there or just the three right now? But they're not published. It's just the three that are published for now. Okay. And for those of you who want to check, uh, check out the books, look under Aaron-Michael. Hall on uh, Amazon.com, and all the spellings are the same. It's A-A-R-O-N, same spelling for Michael and the same spelling for Hall. Um, and and uh, I, I mentioned it before, but you're down kind of in the St. Louis area yes. here in the state of Illinois. <laughs> did you grow up there, or, or did you grow up elsewhere? No, I actually did grow up here, um, right near Sky Air Force Base in Lebanon and O'Fallon, Illinois. I mm-hmm, moved mm-hmm. around the country, but a few years ago, I did come back home. So this is home. Um, well, that's uh, okay. Um, and and what was, you know, I grew up in Chicago, which is really, really different um, than most every other place in the state of Illinois. You know, we've got St. Louis. We've got, well, our, our, our government seat is in Springfield. Springfield is very, very small, kind of, kind of rural. <laughs> And, you know, my, my standard joke about St. Louis, which I mentioned to you before, is, you know, every time I go down there, it looks like all the guys down there look like Leon Spinks. <laughs> now, I'm going to catch hell for that. But you know what? I said it. Somebody had to say it. Um, and and the, uh, I'm sorry? 
that it's not true, but you had to say it. I had to say it. Well, you say it's not true, but you could be just defending, you know, your home turf. Um, and the only other experience I have down in that area, well, you know, Great America. What what was it? Six Flags way back when? Yes. Six Flags yeah, over St. Louis. Is it, is that still down there, by the way? Uh, yes, Eureka, actually. Okay, they, they changed the name. All right. No, no, um, no, no, I mean Eureka, Missouri. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wait. It's not in St. Louis. Wow, I was in Missouri and didn't know. Well, I was so young and I wasn't driving. I mean, it was even before I was driving. Um, so, yeah. And and you said you kind of grew up there. What what was the what was the you know, kind of the the atmosphere when you were growing up? Would you consider it more rural or was it small townish? Um, how was that for you? Small town. Um, I actually uh-huh. grew up in Lebanon which is a really small town. Um, they just got their first functioning um, stoplight a, a few years ago. So that's mm-hmm. all it was. It's, you know, like everyone knew everyone, like Mayberry. It's kind of like what it was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and what was school like? I mean, was, was school small? Did you, were you bust someplace where bigger schools were? I mean, how was that when you were coming up? Um, no, the elementary school, uh, everything was on the same piece of land. It was all right there. You know, high school, junior high, elementary. Uh-huh. All of uh-huh. them still that way. Um, hold on. Somebody wasn't paying attention. Wants to know Lebanon, what state? Lebanon, Illinois. Um, and then and and so, you know, would you consider your kind of like your your growing up time, your upbringing, was it uh other than being kind of small townish? Was it a positive experience? Was it, I mean, how, how was it for you? Um, it was pretty positive. I, you know, come from a pretty good family, uh, very mm-hmm. fortunate. Um, I would say it was a little, it was back in the early 70s, um, so in the early 80s, rather. And things were going through transition, and we had our normal problems that any small town or any town would have. But for the most right. part, you know, I really did enjoy my childhood. That was, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't have these all the video games, and you know, we would be out with the neighbors and playing. And I'd love to go to the park and fish. And we did so many things. And I was the youngest of eight, so you know, we used to put on our own shows and make up our own stories, and it was fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, the school system was, you know, fairly fairly well. You know, it was better in O'Fallon when we moved. But um, I, I enjoyed it for the most part. It was a positive experience. I mean, it's not. I mean, it sounds kind of idyllic. You know, when I think back, you know, a lot of people talk about, well, you know, my childhood was this, that, or the other thing. And I think back to mine. Mine was fairly idyllic, but I don't. I, you know, I don't think of it. If I look at it objectively, it was very idyllic. But I don't think of it that. You know, I always think about, well, you know, my parents were this, and you know, school was that, and things like that. But but to have to have a you know a childhood relatively free of violence, free of you know <laughs> you know all the kinds of things that go along with violence, right. um, I, I think that that that's kind of lucky. I mean, I don't I don't know I, I don't want to say lucky, but let's just say it's not what we expect in our culture today. Sure. You know, like like uh, rural whites are supposed to have all kinds of racial problems and white supremacists and this and that and the other because we we tend to focus on on the negative, 
Mm-hmm. And then so, you know, for you, you know, if you're in a mixed uh, uh, town, oh, it was always, you know, one race against the other, and it was terrible, and it was all sorts of things. But, I mean, to have an idyllic childhood, I think, is is kind of like a treasure. Because what it, it did for me was it would allow it allowed me to think about other things, things other than survival, things other than avoiding violence. Um, and, and it sounds very much kind of like that for you, too. Yeah. Uh, would that be fair to say, yeah? It would be, yes. And then when you, when you think about, you know, right now you're a writer. And, and I'm not, I don't want to ask your age because it's not that relevant, but, but when you were younger, did you see writing as something that was attractive to you, something that you would get into, um, and, and something that carried on until, you know, the pre- your presence? Or was this something that kind of came to you a little bit later? For me, it was later. You know, I started in 2001, and I think I was like 85 in 2001, so I was, I was pretty old. <laughs> no. Um, writing, I mean, being an author was not anything that, I don't know that I actually desire to be. Now, with that said, I have always written. Um, I think that was something that you know, my siblings and I, we did. We would write poems and we'd write music and, you know, different skits and whatnot. And that was just something, part of our creative process. We always did it. But I never sure. actually thought of myself as being a writer. And um, my first novel that I actually published, The Rise of Nauville, that was something that I had worked on for the better part of 15 years because, it, it, you know, it wasn't anything that I was planning on publishing. It was just a story that I wanted to write because I was tired of the stories that were out there. So, sure. So, you know, I wanted to write something that touched me, and I took my time doing it. You know, I over, you know I'd write for a year, and then I'd stop, and I'd pick it up again a month later, you know, and write for a couple of days or whenever something came to me. But, it, you know, there was no timeline. It, the story just went on. Yeah, let me ask you about that because, you know, I'm, uh, people are always interested in other people's process. And I'm interested in people's process because there are certain things that I can do and certain things I can't do in my writing. But, I mean, to, to work on a story over 15 years, I, I'm wondering, when you started the story, did you kind of have an idea of everywhere it was going to go or – or not, you know, I'm I'm regimented where I kind of have to know the ending of a book or a short story when I start, so that I know what I'm aiming for. You know what I mean? Right. But but for you to have done that over over a period of 15 years, um, talk a little bit about that process because when you talk about doing a little bit here, a little bit there, you know, that's that's like that's like sculpting, kind of. You know what I mean? Where if you walk away from it. Everything's still set in stone, no pun intended. And then when you come back, you know, then then you're you're continuing on. How did how did that story evolve? Did you see it in the beginning, or was it something that that had to evolve over the 15 years? I saw it in the beginning. I knew where I wanted to start. I knew what was going to happen, and I definitely knew the end. In fact, the end was written before you know the middle portion. Um, uh huh. But it just I guess I can say that it, it it did evolve, although the original structure was still in place. It just became more, and I wanted to go more in depth with some of the characters because um, <laughs> I get black sometimes because of my number of characters 
and mm-hmm. um, the different subplots and uh, the different things that I'm conveying. And some people can't grasp it, but everything is not supposed to be just laid out for you. There, there are a lot of subtleties built into the dialogue. And um, knew that I wanted to develop it in this manner, but if I wasn't in the mood to actually bring that forth, I wouldn't work on it. So mm-hmm. it's always there, but I didn't focus on the story. And I guess different experiences also kind of morphed different uh, sections of the plot, not away from where they were originally, just into more than what I had originally envisioned. So I just went a little deeper into that, and it's very heavily character-driven and uh, plot-driven. Everyone is really multidimensional. And when mm-hmm. I think about, you know, pro- the protagonist, and I know I have, you know, Pentanomir, who should be the protagonist, but if you look a little bit deeper, no, he's not the only one. So I can't say that I have a main protagonist. I have several different characters that are just as important as he is, and all of their stories are interconnected. And without them, he couldn't accomplish what he needs to accomplish. Sure. So, I mean, I think, you know, in in that case, your process is similar to mine, where where you know which way the story is going. And, you know, I always come up with a great ending first because it's my belief that people remember that the most. You know, when someone's reading a book and they close the book, they go, oh, you know, that was a satisfying ending or, or you know, really, you know, really? That's, that's you're going to end it right there? Or, you know, you know how people are, well, okay, yes. when you go to a bad movie oh. and the movie is over, and you go, well, first of all, I'm never going to get that two and a half hours back. <laughs> Second of all, I just spent $50 on two people to go see a bad movie. So, How are you talking about The Matrix? Well, <laughs> actually, I was talking about Inception. Oh, when they cool. spun that top at the end of Inception and then faded to black, I was sitting in a crowded theater, and I said, get the f- and I, you know, and, and everybody around me laughed because they knew what I was saying. It was like... Oh, so that's your cheat to end the movie. And I, I apologize for anybody who did not know how, the, how Inception ended. I apologize for throwing the spoilers out there. But you know what? Try to keep up with the times, all right? That's all I got to say about that. But you, but you know what I'm saying. You know, for me, I want an ironic ending or an unexpected ending, you know, an ending that people didn't see coming but isn't a cheat. It really fits with the story. And so then I have to start writing to get up to that ending. And in the course of writing it, you know, you and I are very much alike. I want my characters to be three-dimensional. You know, I want the plot to take you places that are unexpected but yet are exciting that make you, (coughs) excuse me, not want to put the book down. So, yeah, I I could see that. I'm just amazed that over, man, you did it over 15 years. Um. That's. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was just for me, so you yeah. Know, I just took my time and just crafted it the way that I wanted it to be, and now with the, the rest of it, it was a little bit more difficult because I had written it. Well, with like the editing process, and because I didn't know anything about publishing, and I had this huge book, and of course they want you to chop them up into little sections. So it's uh-huh. 100,000 words, 120,000 words tops. And how, how, many, how many words were there in that first book? 
Uh, well, after I had it edited a couple of times, I got it down to 340,000. That's 750 pages. Uh, it was actually a little more. <laughs> oh, so you must have more dialogue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> well, mine was 330,000, and they, they calculated it out. HarperCollins ca calculated That's 750 pages. And it wasn't, as they say, uh, nobody was going to publish a first-time author with a book that's 750 pages. Exactly. I mean, so I had to – I had a great editor, and she got it down to 520 pages, and that was much more palatable. But no, I mean, there's so much to think about when you write a story that a lot of people don't know about, you know, especially their first time around. Um, I'm Not very many people are as wordy as I am. Again, I have found a kindred soul because, <laughs> yes. uh, it, it, you know, it just kind of blows my mind. All of my books are like... 500 pages. The ones with the one with the, the heaviest amount of dialogue, it went to 600, but that's just because it was spaced out, you know. Mm -hmm. So I get you, man. I get you. Um, and I've actually and added the Dark Side trilogy to my reading list. Um, did you really? Oh yes. After I read the blurb, uh huh. It just it struck me. Okay, I'll tell you this. It it was reminiscent of a story um, that my mother had created a long time ago, and I was just immediately intrigued because she had come up with a concept of um, black people living on a distant planet. And uh -huh. albeit it wasn't that they chose to relocate, but it was always their home. And their presence on Earth was merely, you know, it was a, a, rec a recon mission that had gone wrong. And as mm -hmm. a result, they were stranded on a continent, which is, you know, later known as Africa. And she just went on with all of this stuff. And so when I read, of course, that's not what happens in your, <laughs> according to your, your blurb, but it uh -huh. reminded me of that. And I was, you know, I have to read this. So, yes, sir, I had to put you on my reading list. You know, girl, you know how to flatter a host. I'm <laughs> telling you. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I mean, um, I... I, I honestly don't really know how to react to that, you know, because if we were to be entirely honest, which I really hate doing, I mean, I believe in, you know, not lying, but I don't believe in, uh, what is it, uh, total uh, total disclosure. Ah, okay. you know, I don't mind. But, but there are times, you know, as a writer, I, I have a healthy ego about things that I can do because I put a lot of effort into doing things really, really well. Mm -hmm. And I, in in large part, that first book was it was a shot in the dark. I knew nothing. I knew nothing about you know writing a book. You know, I, I plotted my plot <clears throat> with a with a computer flowchart application. You know, that's how I put it together. But I uh, thank you for the the kind words. And um, you know, I I will want to um, hear from you if you if you do read it. Um, oh, I will read it, and I do review. So, <laughs> and you'll hear from me otherwise as well. Well, yeah, you know, I actually had a woman. I was in a Google Hangout, and she's reading the first book, and there is a relationship in there. And she she was on camera, and she was shaking my uh, her finger in my in her camera in my face, saying, <laughs> "If you mess with this relationship, oh. <laughs> I will I will never forgive you." So. I I ha I'm proud of the fact that it elicits that kind of um, that kind of response. Yeah. Which I'm curious for you, what kind of feedback have you gotten so far on on the on your work? Uh, it is varied. Um, mm -hmm. I will say, until about I think it was uh, July of this year, 
I have okay. just released an, an author photo. So they only have the name. And um, I did that simply because, uh, especially with epic fantasy and science fiction, you know, it's, it's a male-dominated, those are male-dominated genres. So, sure. you know, I didn't just come out and say, hey, I'm a man, but I just let the pen name be there, and that's all. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted them to read the book and just judge it by the book. And it was interesting. Um, I received a few emails from females that uh, thought that I hated women because of some of the – because Phelan Duel is not for everyone, and, and I don't shy away from bad things that happen to good people. So, sure. Um, there are a few uh, brutalities that take place. Uh, mm-hmm. but they're not exclusive to females. And mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. completely ignored the the males that were also victimized. But mm-hmm. I think that feedback for those people, and I, I, I do say that those things are in there underneath my blurb, so people are warned. Mm-hmm. But, um, that was interesting feedback. For the most part, it has been positive. The relationships that are crafted, and there are a few that are you know, integral to the plot. Um, okay. They love characters, and you know, like you, I, I have been threatened about certain characters, and messed oh. with that relationship, or why did you let that happen to this one? And oh my God, you killed the wrong people. You know, stuff like that. And <laughs> I'm like, oh well, I you know just write the story as it comes to me. But I did receive. Um, I, we, we all get those one and two star reviews. And uh, I survived my first one. You know, it. I was hoping that it would be something that would help me improve. Okay, but, sure. Know, I found out actually who wrote it. It was just someone who I had an argument with in one of the writers' groups. But um, <laughs> and the fact that he mentioned <clears throat> Tolkien, and mm-hmm, I understand mm-hmm. why every fantasy writer is supposed to be a Tolkien worshiper. Because um, I I only read one book, and I right. you know he's very talented of course, but I just never got into it. And the fact that you know he compared my writing to me trying to write like Tolkien was interesting to me, since you know I only read the one book. I watched the movies sure. of them. Uh huh. But yes, most of it besides anyone complaining about some of the the um, more brutal scenes, it's been. Very positive, and I was actually shocked because I did not want to put it out there for people, but I kept getting prodded by family members and friends, and the more people I allowed to read the manuscript, and I was like, well, okay, well, maybe maybe I, I could. So I started trying right. to turn what I could and about query letters and, oh, gosh, and the same things. I wasn't going to split the book up because that felt like a cheat to me, and I, I didn't want to do that. So I just self-published it. And you know it's it's doing okay. Hopefully, well, it's I mean, better. Here's the thing, you know, you're at at its base essence. You know, what you do, what I do, what writers do, is we tell a story. Yes. You know, and and then you know, I'm wondering if you felt victim to today's hypersensitivity to gender issues. You know, in terms of how women are perceived, how they're supposed to behave. You know, uh, you know, we have that perfect example from that uh, that uh, that debate where uh, uh, Donald Trump called Hillary Clinton a nasty woman, 
Yes. And, of course, everybody in America knew he was thinking about the C word, but he couldn't say that. Uh, you know yes. what I'm saying? Yes, yes. And, and so when you, when you look at <clears throat> traditional gender roles, you know, how are women supposed to act? You know, because women have to act a certain way. Men can act any way they want. Women are supposed to tell certain stories a certain way. Men can tell whatever stories they want. Um, it's, it's a little bit, it's always interesting to me to look at people's reviews to see what the perception is and, and to look at the gender that's making the judgment, um, or in my case, the race. I had a white guy who gave me my only one-star review, and when I first got it, I was very angry. You know, I was like, who the f- does he think he is? And, you know, and, and, you know, he said that my first book was like, um, what was a Saturday Night Live sketch? Because for the life of him, he could not imagine why black people would choose to live on the backside of the moon in secret with just each other and no whites. You know, his, his, I think his contention is, is that, you know, we've got it pretty good down here. What are we complaining about? Well, I'm complaining about the fact that if I were darker and I were driving around Chicago, I got a 16 times higher chance of being murdered by the police than somebody who's lighter. Unfortunately, you know, yeah. I, or or I would not get certain interviews because, well, my name obviously I chose to have a Japanese last name to throw everybody off. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> but you know, if I was like Cleopas Johnson, would I get the kind of professional consideration that I get now? Absolutely not, because of the culture we live in. And, and, you know, so when you talk about women looking at that and and thinking that you you have misogynist tendencies, it's kind of odd to me, especially like if they go to your to your um, Amazon page, there there's nothing here where you're concealing your gender or at least your. I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's gender. It's sex. Your your sex. Your femaleness, because you know you could you could be other gendered, you know, and still be a, yeah. visibly a woman. So, and then uh, what about the other part? I you know because I have not read, um, I haven't read any of your work, and I apologize. I I have like no time to read. Oh no, um, it's fine. I understand. I I put no no no. I put. You know, I got a stack of books in the bathroom, and I swear to God, I can't do more than a page at a time. You know, it's just sad. I know that's just too much information, but it's not that bad information. It's just, you know, I got too much to do. I can't be – and I used to read, you know, all of an analog, you know, when I was younger, Mm -hmm. when I was, like, living with my folks. Right. Um, Mostly because when I'm locked in there, it was, like, peaceful. It was quiet. Nobody was bothering me. But but in terms of, you know, we we kind of get get a window into the gender issues. What about race? Does race play a role in your characters, in your plots, and, and kind of in the, in the framework of how you put together a story? Well, I guess I could say yes, but the thing is with um, not only with the Rise of Nazville trilogy, but the Shifter trilogy as well, is um, the fact that there are two specific um, races, I guess, ethnicities, whatever, no races, that I'm going for here. And we have humans and we have Nazillians. And mm-hmm. as far as the human interaction, they're not, there's not any prejudice, per se, amongst the humans for themselves. And it's okay. a very diverse cast. And um, 
it's only the Nazilians who are raise themselves above the humans, and you know they're a xenophobic race, and uh, they actually enslave and, and you know humans, and they rule Nazil and Thalandul, which is the mm-hmm. you know, fantastical world. And but the humans interacting amongst themselves, you know, I just I wanted characters that anyone can relate with, you know, or, or relate to, uh, whether it was gender or you know hair color or hair type or skin type, and you know they when I write, okay, for example, recently someone um, told me that I write like a quote unquote girl. And I, this okay. was the first time that anyone had ever told me that. And I was like, well, how does a girl write? And right. So it's just the voice that you use. And, you know, I can tell that, you know, you're a female. I'm, well, okay, fine, you know, or whatever. And we had gotten into a conversation about women writing male char- characters and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And um, we were in a conversation in, a, in one of our groups, and he had stated that, um, certain women writing these characters in the wrong manner because men would not behave like that. And so I had to come back and tell him, no, it's not men, it's you wouldn't behave like that. So, exactly. You know, because there's other men who would. And <clears throat> my characters are a- actually different aspects of different people that I've observed over the years. And you can't say that the female character should be this way because not every female is that way. So there's a range of different characters, and race is not, I describe how some people look uh, minimally, just so you could know who you're dealing with. There are certain characters mm-hmm. like uh, Kuhani and Simeon, and they're called out differently because they are Jasiri warriors, and they look a certain way. And all mm-hmm. this doesn't um, mean a lot in the first book, in the second and third book, you start to understand why that was mentioned and why they were described in that manner because they are of importance. So, you know, I don't know. It's it's all a process, and it, it develops, and more species also develop. And I'm more in writing people than genders and, um, you know, different classes. And races. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's people. That's uh-huh. All. Well, I, I think the cool part, you know, about it is, you know, you're you're writing about a non-human race and its interactions with humans, and and sometimes that can be an allegory for something else, like District Nine and apartheid, you know, the movie District Nine, yeah. um, and and sometimes it's just, you know, like Freud said, a cigar is just a cigar, you know, and not something else, not standing in for something else, and. Um, I was, it kind of reminded me of something. You know, when you talk about, you know, black authors and black-themed science fiction, fantasy, and horror, you kind of fall into the the Afrofuturist um, conglomeration of art. And and I had a I had a strange question at an Afrofuturist uh, forum that I was moderating, and and they said, well, you know. And it was a, a white guy who was very, who was genuinely, I mean, he was just wondering. He says, you know, to enjoy the stories from Afrofuturists, do I have to know anything about black culture? And I almost snapped off the sarcastic retort um, because that's the kind of, you know, 
person I am. Not not all the time, but I mean sometimes. Oh, not uh, well, I've got it. I've got it in my quiver. You know, if I have to pull it out, I will. But I I had to stop because, you know, in science fiction, especially what you just described, where you're talking about two entirely different races, one that's completely fictional that we know absolutely nothing about. Did we have to know about them to read your story? And the answer is no. And so we got around to talking about that, you know, that that um, you don't have to have, you don't have to understand certain cultural memes in order to enjoy a story. In the story itself, it will tell you what you need to know. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm so sorry. Um, so when, I, um, when you put together... Um, Way back when, 15 years before, when you put together this story, did you have a, a, a pretty good cultural framework for your alien species or, as you sort of alluded to, in, in process, not necessarily your process, but in process, that you had to, you know, you wanted to take the, the time, the middle part of the book to, to flesh out the culture, to so that, that the means were obvious and so that people didn't have to suspend disbelief in the middle of the story and go, man, that's just crazy, you know. <laughs> well, no. You know, think about um, Left Hand of Darkness, you know, by Urs- Ursula Le Guin, yeah. where you have one sex, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, and, and how, how do people wrap their head around that? Well, they have to read the story to see how you paint that picture. Exactly. Um, you know, did you, was it essential over time, over that 15 years, for you to build up kind of like the, the two, build, you know, first you have your one-dimensional characters. Okay, this person does that, this person does that. Then the two-dimensional, okay, and they've got this kind of personality and three-dimensional, but they they are like this. This is their behavior. These are the things that drive them. These are the important things. These are the things that happened when they were growing up. Was that the 15-year process that you had to go through. No, that um, that wasn't the process. I write, I, I've been finding out since I've been talking to a lot of different authors, I write it a bit differently, and, and some, a few of them also do the same thing. But um, I didn't know a lot about the actual, I guess, logistics of actually writing, and you know, I had things written down in a notebook the way I wanted them to be, and I had them mm-hmm. in and you know, it was a very simplistic outline. I knew what I wanted where, but, you know, that was pretty much the end of it. As far as, mm-hmm. you know, fleshing out the characters, they were always there already. Now, as time went by and the world grew, I had to think of more characters and their interaction and their importance to these lands. But it was never, okay, okay, this is who they are, and but why are they of importance? Or, I guess... It would be more so that as I was writing, I knew I needed more interaction or I needed a way to explain something. So I would have to create a person or, you know, a position for this. And, and there's a lot of things, of course, it's fantasy that, you know, are just created. Um, sure. And, of course, a lot of things that have to be researched as well to make it all make sense. But um, so I guess it's <coughs> developed. I knew my characters, the main characters for the most part. And some were added later. Um, like I said, there are quite a few very important characters, and they're all interlaced. 
you know, everyone is interconnected in some way or another. And the way I structure my chapters, um, they're actually divided into sections. And some things are happening at the same time, uh, whereas some things may be happening uh, a week apart. But it's not jarring. It flows very easily. So you can follow okay. along from section mm -hmm. to section, um, village, city to city. And, you know, it's very, right. no one's ever had a problem following one of my novels, which is a good thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, no, you, you want to make it accessible. and You want to make it easy. You know, my... For me, I, I tried to write in a very visual style so people would kind of see the little movie in their head as they were reading mm -hmm. yes. um, because that makes it accessible. Plus, I used a little bit bigger words, and, and so I guess it was written at the ninth grade level instead of the sixth grade level, which is what – well, I, no, I'm, you shouldn't you're, laugh because well, now, so now you're – sorry. <laughs> okay, but – well, okay. If you write at the sixth grade level, it's very accessible to our audience. You know what I mean? It's an easier read, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there, we, we can go into, actually, I have a website that tells you what, what grade level your, your writing is actually at. You know what? I'm going to go pull that up because that might be a useful tool for people. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and also, I, I have the other um, website that I got, which is the one that's called I Write Like. And you, you take a swath of your writing and you put in, um, you drop it into the website and it tells you what author you write like. Oh. But for people who are interested in looking at their text readability, I, yeah, I, I'm getting to the site. Oh my God, these people are so anxious here. What is the site? I'm going to drop the <laughs> link in, in the chat room. that <laughs> chat room. I really do. Well, it's no. This actually, this is great. You know, we've got we have a listener from Kenya in there today, tonight. Oh, hello. Yeah, but uh, this uh, for those people picking this up as a podcast, it's readability-score.com, and what this does is this lets you know exactly um, exactly the, uh, the the kind of the grade level, the readability of your text. It gives you things like. Uh, Flesh Kincaid Reading Ease. Yeah, I don't know what that is either. But you know, <laughs> it it gives you the Gunning Fog score. I don't know what that is either. Several more grade levels. Okay, those I got. Keyword density. All right, I could figure that out just by the words. Word and syllable counts. Uh, sentiment analysis. I, I I don't know what that is either. Okay, but you know, I dumped a bunch of my stuff in here and it all came up good, except that it was a little bit higher in grade level, a little, a little more difficult to read than what I would normally want it to be. So, you know, it's, it's a great tool, you know, it's a great tool. Um, the other one, I write like, uh, just do a, I guess, just do a Google search on I write like. Oh, I've already it up. <laughs> Did you really, have you dumped your stuff in there? I'm I usually get Arthur C. Clarke or Isaac Asimov for my stuff. I'm very, um, Anxious to see what they might say here. Who is it? Uh, I don't know. I write like but Dan Brown. Okay. Dan Brown? Yes, Dan Brown. Okay, he's a techno thriller writer. Oh, oh, I see. Uh, the Da Vinci Code. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> uh, well, I'm. Mean, you know, these are good tools because it kind of, it gives you a better insight into how you perform compared to other people. 
or, or you know, in the readability score, it lets you know how accessible your writing is for the reading public. And I think those are good tools. But, you know, I would not, I wouldn't sit there and constantly edit a, a, a paragraph and dump it in there just to try to get a certain score. Just, you know, if you tell a good story, people are going to read it. Like Discovery, my first book, it's, 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 it's top-heavy with science. Okay. It's, top he- it's top-heavy with technology. You can kind of skim over that and still get the story real well. But at the time, when I was writing, I was terrified that some Dan Brown reader, some, some techno-thriller reader guy would catch me in an error and then, you know, like destroy me in my, in my review <laughs> saying, oh, Really, you know, uh, you know, and, and, and then tell what, what I had messed up on. So, of course, I over-researched and stuff like that. I put everything but the kitchen sink in there. And that was because I was stupid. I, was re- I didn't know a damn thing about writing a book, but I just didn't want anybody making fun of me, you know. So that was I'm that. I'm going to do that anyway. I'm sorry, hon. Oh, no, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> you know, only the, only the one white guy who gave me the one star, you well, know. They'd be right. I just said they <laughs> Now, and, and when you're when you're writing, what's going on in the back of your head? I mean, you know, you've got you've got this inner voice that that's helping you write because otherwise you couldn't string sentences together. But in while you're in the middle of your process, what kinds of considerations do you have in real time? You know, as you're typing, as you're doing sentences, as you're going through, what kinds of things do you? Um, do you hear or, you know, are, is your brain telling you as you're going along, kind of in the process? That's pretty much what it is. I, you know, my sisters kind of joke about me sometimes because they've seen me, if I have some, you know, my muse is working and I have this inspiration going, um, I'll sit at my computer and my eyes are closed. And um, my son had asked me one time what I was doing and, you know, I said, I'm typing what I see. And that's pretty much what's going on in my head because I'm hearing these characters in my mind. I'm seeing the scene playing out like I'm watching a movie, and I'm, you know, I'm just trying to <clears throat> get it down as quickly as it's coming in my mind. And mm-hmm. um, so as that's playing out, I mean, I also have this other stuff, I'll say, going on in the background of where this can lead to or what can happen because of what I'm seeing and, you know, the different avenues that I can take from here and try to bring together. So it's there's a lot going on at the same time, and it's always definitely quiet. I know some people like to use certain music, and I'll listen to like Enigma or something very low um, mm-hmm. at times, but um, I have nothing on because I don't want anything to distract from what I'm trying to do. Yeah, for me it's music or a movie. And I'm not paying any attention to the movie. I mean, it's, it's just, like white it, it, it really is. And, you know, what makes it really stupid is it's in the, it's, it's like right next to my word perfect. <laughs> well, I got, I got a lot of screens and, and, you know, sometimes I don't have the sense of a house plan. I admit that, but I've, I've gotten to the point where I can do, you know, a 220, 250 word, 250,000, 220,000 word novel in about, you know, six months seven months so I think I'm getting better and and what's the other funny part is uh, I just wrote a short story and submitted it out and it was 1900 words and I I think I made some people faint and a couple had a stroke (laughs) hearing that I wrote something that short with 1900 words Um, but again 
like my process is like that too. I don't I don't have anybody in my house. I, I do live alone, but the um the the process where I'm actually writing, I I can't have anybody around. I really can't because they would be a distraction, you know. Um and, and not so much like they're humming or, you know, clipping their nails or something like that, but just having to you know, being a good host, being, you know, uh, whatever I am. Um, well, you know what I mean? Okay, when someone comes to your house mm-hmm. and you live alone and they're visiting, let's say in my case it's a woman, you know, it's probably a little bit rude for me to sit here quiet listening to my music or whatever and not paying any attention to her. She might get the idea I don't want her there, and that's and that's not it. It's just my process, you know. So um, now you – how many – you don't live alone, do you? No. I mean, it, no. yeah. It. How hard is it to isolate yourself to kind of, of from distractions? Well, over the last year, um, mm-hmm. while I was trying to get this last book out for the trilogy, uh, I would just be up in the wee hours. I could work a little bit during the day. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, when I didn't have to, you know, do something else from 9 to 5, but um, I was up to about 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning when it was quiet. I didn't have any disruptions. And I always had a pad with me wherever I go. And so if right. it comes to me, of course, you write that out too. And if I'm sitting and waiting somewhere, I was writing, um, I'd have my laptop with me and you know, at some places, and you know, I'd be typing things out. So I was constantly working. But it was usually in the wee hours when I should have been sleeping. So I was working off maybe two, three hours of sleep for months at a time trying to get everything together, and the editing was, you know, grueling as usual. But I've started getting a little more sleep now, so that is a good thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, no, I mean, I again, when uh, when I started my first book, I was I was visiting reading groups or, or writing groups and talking to other writers and stuff. And, you know, some writers will say, well, I've been working on something for 10 years and I've been working on something. This is not any, you know, any hit on you for 15 years. But, you know, and then and I would say, well, what what's the impediment to you finishing? And they would go, well, life gets in the way. You know, I've got a family. I've got a job. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And And what I arrived at was in order for me to write, um, as as kind of like a, a vocation, <clears throat> almost like a business, I treated it like a part-time job. So, you know, every night at 10 o'clock, I stopped what I was doing and I got on the computer and I was on the computer from 10 to like about 2 in the morning, exactly like you. And I treated it like a part-time job. And when you do, when you attack something or you manage to do something with that kind of consistency, you're bound to finish. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, so I think that kind of thing, scheduling is important. Your, your immediate environment is important. And, and again, getting in touch with your process. What I do now is completely different than what I did for my first book. You know, I'm a different kind of writer. I'd like to think that I'm better. And I've learned a lot. You know, there were some books that I started um, uh, reading when I started writing, thinking that, okay, I'll read these and I'll figure out exactly what it takes to be a writer, but it's more than just reading somebody else's 
Exactly. Exper- experiences. You still have to go through your own process and you have to figure that out. Yes. Was that hard for you to steady into, a, you know, kind of a consistent groove? Um, I just, I just write. <laughs> I know I, I've uh, done different interviews and, and whatnot, and they wanted to know the process and how do you get into, you know, like you say, your groove. Or I write when it comes to me. And mm-hmm. when I am really trying to get a project out and trying to get everything finished and lined up, I'm constantly thinking about different aspects of that project. And like now with my science fantasy that's uh, coming out soon, um, I'm listening to it on, on my reader all the time, and you know, and something will play, and I'll say, okay, I need to change that, or you mm-hmm. know, this needs to go this way, or that needs to go that way. So it's just something that's consistent. And um, I don't know. I just, I'm just either in the writing moment or I'm not. And I never force it if I don't want to turn out junk that I would just have to rewrite anyway. So right. like for right now I'm supposed to be <clears throat> supposed to be writing a prequel <laughs> to the actual fantasy series and I just haven't been leaning in that way. I've been more involved with writing the science fantasy than my epic fantasy. So that's where I have my focus because that's where my muse is and, and that's what's coming out of me and it's it's you know, I'm really enjoying that process a lot because I mm-hmm. think I could do you know, I say science fantasy because that's more what it is, but I never thought I'd sure. do science fiction because like you said, there's so much research that goes into it and I didn't think that I could do it. You know, had the capability to actually bring forth believable sci fi. Yeah. But I've always Somebody wants I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Somebody wants to know, um I, I I'm guessing you use a reading app. But someone wants to know: Do you use a reading app, or do you read your, your do you read your own stuff and then listen to it again? Both. Um, Both. I read it because I want to hear how it sounds with me reading it, with the absolute mm-hmm. correct pronunciations. Or I okay. feel like natural reader. Mm-hmm. Is you know the reading reading app that I use because I do have a language called Meloni that I made you know I created for this series, and mm-hmm. it actually pronounces some of the stuff really close. <laughs> And it gets most of my names correct too, so Natural Reader is the app that I like to use for that. That's that's amazing. I didn't even think of that. I mean, I I, re, I read my dialogue out loud, mm-hmm. which lets me know if it's natural or not. Yes. Um. And and you know, fortunately, I write in English, and um, mm-hmm. you know, this English is a second language for me, but I do pretty well with it. Um, somehow, if I wrote like I grew up talking like J.J. Walker, I think that would be unreadable. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, you know, with reading, I think that, you know, every author needs to read their work to themselves. They need to read it out loud. Um, Yes. With that, but with that, there, you know, you also need to have some kind of a program or somebody read it to you because you are so familiar with the text that you will put in words that you think are there, but it's not, you know, something as simple as there and there. You'll say the right word, it'll sound right, or, you know, whatever, or you'll put in what is supposed to be there when it's not. But when it's read back to you from the program, and I've caught so many mistakes that way. I'm like, oh, my mm-hmm, God, mm-hmm. I thought that it was this way. No, it's not that way. And it also helps with punctuation, too. Well, that's the essence of why you choose, why you have to have an editor. Um, your brain will supply what's supposed to be there. 
you will see it, you will hear it, you will swear that it's there. But it's only when something else is reading it and you go, what the, what was I, you know, I'm missing a whole two words here or something like that. And and the only way somebody can at least do a halfway decent read of their own work is if they read it backwards. You start at the last page. I've heard that, I've heard that yes. And, uh, <clears throat> and I, I haven't heard any differently. It's worked for me. But I still have somebody else look at it because it's oh, absolutely. You know, I um. Well, because because that's the way it has to be done. Don't ever publish without an editor. Get your book edited, please. <laughs> have an editor look at it. Okay. I'm yeah. Sorry. I had to throw that in there. <clears throat> well, you know, some people think I don't have to pay for an editor. And and there are there are certain truisms about writing about publishing. Mm-hmm. about the process of writing, about doing well that you can't you can't get around. It's like, well, I'm gonna go learn how to drive. Yeah, but but Negro, you're blind. Oh <laughs> That's just an obstacle. We'll get over that. Yeah, I know. You know, and, and you know, I say that and then I remember the Super Dave Osborne episode where Ray Charles was driving. Oh. But 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 not everybody can pull that off, you know. Sure. So so there I mean there are certain truisms about our industry and it is an industry. I mean, we're all entrepreneurs. We're all business owners now because what we're doing is we're producing a product and trying to sell it. Yeah. You know, it's it's no different than, you know, the guys who made silly putty or who you know, what whatever you want to make. Mm-hmm. You know, iPads, what have you, <clears throat> and and so there are business practices that that everybody should understand. Uh, let me ask you this: When you first started writing, you know, however many fifteen, whatever many years ago, what what was the hardest part about about writing for you? Was it was it something about process? Was it constructing the story? I mean, what? When, you know, if you could think back to then, what what made it the hardest for you to make progress? Time. Um, as far as well, and I guess because the first book is not a good example, <laughs> because that was not anything that I was trying to really finish in any you know any time period. It could have gone on for another ten years, and I would have been completely satisfied with that. But mm-hmm. um, I guess with the latter books, uh, it would definitely have to be time. And then I, I was also, and I still do, think about what the readers are going to think about this or that. Um, not so much as to actually fundamentally change what I want to do, but I can soften different things or I can alter them a little bit to be more um, accessible to a broader audience. And um, my books are very, I call it, um, well, speculative fiction, of course, but epic fantasy with an edge because there are some darker elements in there, but it's, they're not dark enough to be considered dark fantasy. So, okay. you know, I'm always trying to figure out how to make it more accessible. to Because it'll never be... Um, you know, YA fiction or anything like that. I, that's just not me. I can't write that way. I try to change it, so I can't apologize for anything that I write in. If it offends somebody, I'm sorry. It's not the book for you, and I understand that, and I hope that they can be happy and find the book that they want. 
but I'm pleased with what I've written, and I just hope that other people can enjoy it as well because I can't be fake and try to do something that's not me because it won't come out very well. Well, and remember, you are telling a story. You know, we're fortunate. I mean, yes, we have to tell a story that people are going to be engaged in, you know, because you want them to read the story and enjoy it. And possibly if you, you know, if you do multiple volumes like you and I have, that it'll be interesting enough that they're going to want to continue on to the next volume. Yeah. But but the thing is, is, oh, man, you know, not everybody likes every story. Exactly. And not every story is for you, 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 and you, you know. So the... I think that the critique, you know, I've gotten I've, I've gotten thicker skinned, but also smarter skinned since I published the first book. And the thicker skin is obviously, um, if if you write something and somebody doesn't like it, you cannot you cannot believe that it is somehow an invalidation of yourself. And and a lot of new writers, and I would say probably younger writers might have more of a tendency to do that. Oh man, I don't like your work. It's crap. And then they go, "Oh, well, I'm 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 worthless." And then maybe stop or at least be discouraged. Right. And and so and and the understanding that not everybody's going to like your story is one that you have to embrace and you have to embrace it in a way that's healthy. Um you know, I I write speculative fiction. I write a, a technical fiction, Afro-future, whatever people want to call it. Mm-hmm. Well, you're not going to get somebody who likes um, Harlequin romances to, like, dig into my work, you know, and, and I, I understand that. Um, I, guess, I guess, you know, when I think about the gestalt of being an author, there, there are so many aspects to it that just getting through it is pretty laudable. You know, for you, you've finished three books. That's huge, you know, to, to have done that. There are a lot of people out there who don't finish one or they finish one and they go, man, I never want to have to do that nonsense again. Um, so, um, yeah, and, and so, so you, you know, you didn't quit. You know, you just kept going. And um, I, I'm going to keep going. You know, I, I know I've got at least seven books in me and an anthology. And then I may quit. And I've got two movies that I'm going to produce. And then I'll quit. And then we'll see what happens. But I'm not going to be dissuaded by somebody saying, um, you know, your, th- your, your book is just not my cup of tea. And I can, I can kind of live with that. Um, hang on for a second. You're listening to the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Show, a service of the BlackScienceFictionSociety.com website. Please stop in. Check it out. There's a lot of content, a lot of things going on. We're producing our first movie which I hear you're doing voices. You're you're a voice actor for the movie. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. I'm very excited you, about that. <laughs> you've you've got a great voice. I love your giggle too. Your giggle's oh good. My gosh. Um, <laughs> if I was like 40 years younger. No, I'm just kidding. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> so, but um, tell us a little bit how that all came up. Uh, came well. Let me let me tell everybody who might not know. Um, BlackScienceFictionSociety.com is producing a uh, its its first animated movie. I guess it's 3D animation, and it, the movie's called Earth Squadron. And uh, various people from BlackScienceFictionSociety.com are working on it. Um, I did a little bit of writing for it. Uh, I guess I don't know if they have any room for another voice, but if they did, maybe I could get my voice in there. 
but it's it's a science fiction movie that has to do with you know the le- the, the last line of defense for Earth when it's invaded. I think that's a, a good enough thing. How did you get involved with that? Well, from the website and um, talking back and forth with Mr. Sheffield, and um, it was sort of an open call. And mm-hmm. I had done uh, some voiceover work, you know, nothing major or anything before, and and some acting. And right. um, I actually do quite a few voices. <laughs> <clears throat> I submitted a few samples, and I was very, very pleased and just overjoyed when I was selected to voice a, a couple of characters. So that's mm-hmm. going to be very, oh, I can't wait <laughs> to get started on that. It's. Uh, I, I think it's going to be a great movie. First of all, one of the reasons why I think it's going to be good is because um, the production team is taking their time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, part part of that has to do with um, w- with wanting to do it exactly right. You know, you don't want to do a half-assed job. First of all, if you're investing that much time and energy, and so many people are are, are contributing to it. The last thing you want to do is put out something that is less than the best. True, um, true. And and that's huge. Um, and the other thing is, is with the tools available, the the software uh, tools that are available for doing animation, for for rendering, for for doing 3D modeling and things like that, <laughs> are so advanced that it's made creation more accessible, you know, instead of having to go to Lucasfilms to create a spaceship, you know, you, you get a digital artist to, to really put one nicely together. Lots of polygons look very, very good, good detail under high resolution. And that can be done in somebody's home now. You know, somebody, if they've got enough hardware, can do that in their own home. Um, for you... You're, you're, uh, what are you waiting on? Are you waiting on script yes. in order to do your voice? Okay. Oh, you know, now that I remember, think about it, I think I'm responsible for trying to get all those pages together. So I have okay. to apologize for that. Step it up, mister. Uh, well, hey, <laughs> I'm going to use, I'm going to use the excuse of my car wreck in, uh, in August for a lot of stuff. I got my, I did get my bell rung pretty good, but, oh. but no, but I mean, getting everything, getting everything together ahead of time and going step by step by step is essential to the process. It's just like creating a book. Yeah. You know, you, you want to tell a good story. Um, what makes doing a movie uh, more, more involved is you've got audio, you've got video, you have, uh, you know, you basically you're, you're creating a visual story. Yeah. And uh, I'm excited about it. I really am. I can't wait until we get a little further along and we could see uh, – as somebody said, blame it on the car. No, the car saved my life, actually. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm happy to hear that you're involved with that. I can't wait till we get a little further along. Uh, at the end of the show, when I have Jarvis come in to close the show, we're going to ask him a little bit about it. So we'll probably maybe stop you and I talking for a couple minutes ahead of time okay. because we'll get, we'll get the latest and greatest. Um, now, you, you know, you've got... What do you have? You have a, a total of seven books out there. Well, I have seven books written. I have the second trilogy is actually in the editing phase. Um, okay. They're not published yet. Um, what What's your timeline? Do you think? Well, I like to schedule them uh, six months apart. Okay. So the next one is to be released in February, 
but I also have the science fantasy that's releasing in the spring as well. So I will have more books next year than I had this year. Because I don't know if yeah. I'll both of the science fantasies out um, next year, so that would be four for next year, or if I'm just going to wait and hold on to the second part. I'm not sure, but I like to have everything done and at least in the fir- with the first editing pass before I publish the first one. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I can keep on my schedule of six months apart. Yeah, um, and and are you are you so regimented? See, isn't that an, a better term than anal? Are you so regimented <laughs> that that you actually, when you say something, you have to stick with it, or do you allow yourself, you know, some leeway? Because you know, sometimes things pop up that are unexpected. How are you in that in that respect? You know, what what's your personality like? Are you you don't sound type A? You know, I I like to do if I've planned something out and I've plotted it out and it actually affects other people, I have to right. do exactly what I said, unless something extraordinary happens that obstructs. Me. Um, with the the first trilogy, I did want to make sure that everything went out on time because I wanted to have the next book ready, and I didn't want losers to lose interest, so I wanted to have it up for you know pre order. And set to go. Now, with the second trilogy, I've actually, I was thinking about pushing it back a little bit and just kind of waiting and do more marketing for the first one. Mm -hmm, Because, you know, there are three books out there that can be read. So, (laughs) you know, I didn't want to rush and try to get the next trilogy out there. So, with that, it's a little less regimented with this series since I already have, or trilogy, I'm sorry, I already have the first one out there. Um, with the science fantasy, that is pretty much complete. I guess because sometimes I get a little bit anxious and a little antsy, and I want to go ahead and release them early, but I try to keep myself to the six months if I can because mm-hmm. they will be there, and <laughs> they're not going anywhere, and I can just hit the publish button at any time. Sure, sure. And, um, you know, Somebody write in there, people write in trilogies. But, I mean, do you, do you write trilogies? I know the first one was, okay, I've got uh, 350,000 or however many words, and that's a tough sell for a single volume. It is. You know, um, people, you, you go to class, nobody wants to read War and Peace, you know. Uh, right, um, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and just because, first of all, hauling that book around is too damn heavy, but, but it's just... <laughs> It's a lot of words. Oh, yeah. Well, Kindle is great. I mean, you could put War and Peace on Kindle, and it doesn't weigh an ounce more. So that's kind of cool. But um, people people have a tendency to be scared when they see a big fat book, yes. which I'm finding out, <laughs> because um, people are reading less and less, and people's attention spans are shorter and shorter. When you're writing – I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. I was just agreeing with you. Go ahead, hon. Um. So, you know, for somebody like me who the first and my first three books were, you know, all pretty thick, you know, they're all about an inch. I, I thought about that and that, that may affect, you know, it may affect sales. But then on the other hand, when people read them, they read them fairly quickly. And so, you know, it's always a toss up. It's, it, you, know, I, you know what I feel like? I can juggle three balls with no problem. No problem at all. I can juggle three balls forever. You know, I learned how to do that one 
Friday night in Green Bay because there wasn't jack else to do. But if you throw another ball in there, I'm I'm lost. So you know, I don't want to. I don't want to complicate my my business model. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to complicate how I'm going to get these books out to people, how I'm going to market them and things like that by making them bigger, fatter, or anything else. Um, so I've been thinking. You know, I, I actually completed a fifth, no, a fourth book that's not in the Dark Side um, universe, and it, it came out to be 141,000 words, which for me is extremely brief, um, quite a difference. So, I, you know, I guess it's just a story that you want to tell. When you, you know, your first one was huge, and then you chopped it up into three, correct? No. <laughs> no? I, I know. I left it as it was, and I knew it was going to cause issues because you know, I belong to a lot of writers' groups, and, oh, I caught so much slack, and you need to um, chop that into three books, <clears throat> find a great spot, and you're not going to do very well. Your sales are going to be horrible. Nobody wants to read a book that big. And, you know, if the story is interesting enough, I think you will continue the story, and why would you want to pay three times for one book? But, you know, people will do that. They'll get the same length of story, but since it's chopped up, they'll go ahead and pay two ninety nine, three ninety nine for the e-book each time. And right. I just, I don't see that. I'm, I'm giving you an entire story. And instead of appreciating the fact <laughs> that I'm not going to chop it up and charge you three times, you're going to just choose not to read it. But my target audience, that word count, it, you know, would not matter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you know, I was fine with that. But um, the, one interesting point about the first trilogy, because you mentioned someone had typed something. I'm still not in that chat room, but um, you had mentioned someone writing something about people writing trilogies or something in the chat room. Is that where it was? Sure. Yeah, no, they just mentioned, you know, people oh. write, you know, that was just Jarvis going, you know, those of us who write trilogies rather than just a single, you know. Well, that was Jarvis. <laughs> the first book, The Rise of Nazo, is actually a standalone. Okay. Because that was the only book I was writing. Right. So it you don't have to read. I mean, you'll want to because after I started getting questions about, well, what happens next? And I said, okay. well, I don't know what happens next. It, the story ended. That's where it ends. So, you know, and people were like, well, no, what about the Desu Beast? What about you know this? What about that? And I was like, you know, well, let me think about it. And so that's where Seed of Scorn and Piercing the Darkness, that's how it, they were birthed because I was trying to answer questions and tell more of the Nazillion story and the Jasiri story and the Shiandru story and bring it all together. So that was just supposed to be... So if I actually broke it down, I would say The Rise of Nazo is one book and Seed of Scorn and Piercing the Darkness are a duology. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as I was writing Seed of Scorn and Piercing the Darkness, I had to go back to The Rise of Nazo and add in little things here and there so the, you know, the books would flow seamlessly and make them more of a trilogy than, you know, just this being the standalone <clears throat> and then these two other books. Sure. Um, so, well, I mean, it, you have, you have, you actually plan out very well. Oh. You know, obviously you have, well, you do. It sounds like it. <laughs> I try. I really do. Yeah. Um, and, and it, to me, that's the way the process works best for me. There are people out there who say, you know, oh, I just thought of a good character. I think I'll write a book about them. 
And I go, well, do you know the ending? They go, no, 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 not really. I'm just writing a story. The cynic in me wants to ask them, so how do you know when you're done? (laughs) I I actually was reading a series that's been going on for over 20 years, and, you know, I love reading about the characters, but I want an ending. You know, before I die, I would like to know that this ended well. And (laughs) (laughs) it's going on and on. It has to end somewhere. Right. Right. Um, you know, I, I want to jump back for a second. You had mentioned that you'd done a little bit of acting and voice work before. What kinds of things had you worked on? Oh, um, nothing major. I, you know, plays and some student films. But that's, you know, that's pretty much, pretty much it. Um, but that's still experience, you know. I've always loved it, and believe it or not, I am extremely shy, and uh-huh. a little bit of an introvert. So it it took a lot to. I know I I love to act, and I love doing all these things, but then I kind of pick it up, <laughs> and I'm always, you know, it's like turning on a switch, and I have to try to get myself ready to go out there and do what I have to do, and sometimes it's extremely debilitating, and, you know, other times, you know, I, I can do okay. Mm-hmm. Well, nobody, nobody believes that I'm exactly like that, too. I'm very shy, and I'm very introverted, but nobody, you know, you can't, you, I can't convince anybody of that, but what I did was I developed a, my representative, who does radio, who does the interviews. My representative is, you know, the person who goes and <laughs> does forums and discussions and things like that. And then there, there's the, the private me who <clears throat> really would rather stay home and write books, who does not. So I can kind of get that. And and the thing about being on, I, I, I get that a lot because, you know, there are times when you actually have to, you have to put yourself out there. And, um, the fact that you did plays, I mean, that's that, that's two tiers of hard work. One is that you have to memorize what you have to do, and and some people tend to underestimate the difficulty in that. And the second thing is, every time you perform, you have to be on. You have to give that performance that's compelling. You have to be that um, person. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and you know, and the thing is, you know, with commercials, yeah, you just, you can do thirty-five takes and get the right take. But when you're doing a play, it's you. It's you out there. So I, I have a healthy respect for that. Um, doing voiceover work is okay because you can do that alone. You can do that at home. You can get in a booth and not be bothered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's 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 a little bit easier. But but performance art is not easy. I did stand-up, which, uh, and I sang in a band. And and both of those are – singing in a band is easy. You know, you got a bunch of other people up there. You're playing music. Everybody's drunk. <laughs> I'm sorry? It was not easy for me, but okay. <laughs> yeah, well, stand-up was the hardest thing in the world because if you don't get people in your in, in the palm of your hand in the first five minutes, oh. it can be a long set. It can be a really, really long set. <clears throat> so, but um, so you've got you've got a plethora. Well, maybe not a plethora, but you've got a handful of kind of creative talents that you have been able to play off of um, as you go forward. Let's jump ahead for a, a little bit. Um, do you do you see yourself kind of staying a writer? Are there other kinds of creative output that you're thinking might work for you, or you're thinking you might do in the future? Um, yes, I, I I don't see myself uh, writing for many more years. Actually, um, once my stories are complete, if something comes to me that just has to be written, I will write. Mm-hmm. 
but um, no, because I still I love my music <coughs> and um, son. Um, you know, he plays music and he's also writing a book. And mm-hmm. you know, I have other things that I would like to do. And and I've always music has been my first love anyway. And um, I do, even though I don't play professionally or anything like that, it's still a right. threat. But, sure. And I have other things I can do, and I'll always write poetry or a short story or something, but as far as writing to publish, no, I don't see myself doing that for many more years. So we kind of caught you in the middle of your your, your upswing, and then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. boy, were we lucky. <laughs> well, I, you know, I had somebody who said, you know, I, um, yeah, I, I wrote this, 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 and this, and I've had, you know, got this award, this award, this award, this award, but... I'm pretty much done with that. I'm I'm moving to community outreach. So, you know, people people do go through different evolutions. Like I'm I'm changing, you know, I'm I'm changing jobs. You know, I'm 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 thinking about something different to do. Part of that is age. Part of that is uh, <clears throat> I want to make more money. You know, whatever whatever the motivation is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the fact that at least you've got you have other things that you might do. Um, suggest that, you know, not so much a reinvention maybe, but just being able to concentrate on a different, you know, having a different focus for your output. Oh, absolutely. In um, photography, too. I totally forgot about that. I do a lot of photography. I love photography. Oh, yeah. love it, love it, love it. And I have uh, not been doing it as much as I would normally do because, you know, all the work with the books and whatnot. So I will enjoy you- getting back into that more as well. Do you show your work at all? Have Do you have any place where people can see your photographic work? Um, no, I have thought about that, though. And um, perhaps next year I can actually set something up for that because, oh, my gosh, it's just so many. It's so much over many, many years on different continents. And, um, yes, that, that should be something I should focus on, actually, because <laughs> I love it no. so much. Um, you mentioned different continents. Are you well-traveled, as they say? Uh, not very well traveled. I, I've been to some European countries, and I really enjoy the time I spent in Africa. Um, actually, a lot of my characters are named after friends that I met when I was I stayed in Addis Ababa, and I was in Desse in, in Egypt uh, for a couple of months. And mm-hmm. um, you know, very interesting, very interesting time. Well, tell us, I mean, what was the most interesting part of it? I mean, here, you, basically what you are is you're a storyteller right now, okay? And, and I, would, I would hazard the guess that, you know, you're, the, the collective of your experiences is what makes you the writer you are, you know, or, or at least gives you some, some, some fodder for your writing. So, so tell us about how those, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, the, You've got people you've met as characters in your books. Has your tra- has your travel at all impacted your writing, or does it you know does it affect your writing? Does it give you a slant or something? I think that um, some of the people. I mean, they're they're not those people. They're just their names because you know I I wanted some way to I guess honor them, and also I just love <laughs> love their names. One of my favorite characters um, in the third book is called Ermias, and he was one of my friends in, in Ethiopia. And um, some of the culture, I would say, 
definitely from from these different places and some of the people that I met and the way they interacted with each other and me as well. Um, and well, and also the language, the Meroni language that I created for the series. Um, mm-hmm. Some of it was created years ago when I was in my teens, but you know, after spending time there, especially, and I knew I needed to craft this new language. Um, and I loved the way uh, the way some of the Amharic was spoken, some of the heavy sounds, and you know the different. It took me a while to learn how to do that, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. And some of the the sounds that the words make, and I wanted to use some of those those sounds in my language. So um, so it's not just a written language; it is a spoken language. Um, and I actually do have a Melani page on my website where you can go and listen to how the the words sound. But I think that those influences and getting enmeshed in, in the different cultures and it yes, I think it did because I'm thinking of um the village of Bandari uh that's in in my series and a lot of the interactions there and how they live there with each other is very reminiscent of the neighborhood, the place I was when I was in Addisababa. Um, Addis Ababa, of course, is huge, but the place that I I was actually at, it was a very tight-knit community of people, and they were all helping each other and, you know, coming over and doing, and they were just fantastic. um, So I I guess, yes, it it does influence. And then, you know, I had an incident in Egypt that uh, (laughs) I guess also kind of uh, sparked a little bit of, some of the um, things that happened in the book, too. Well, one event, anyway. So, yeah. And um, not only with the people that I met on my travels, but people I interact with all the time. And I'm sort of a people watcher. And so how people are interacting with each other, speaking to each other, their different um, little nuances and, and subtleties. And so I think that all helps to develop especially the depth of the characterization and um, the different plots because nothing is, is ever just what you see. There's all these layers beneath. So being able able to interweave these different things and make them all come together to this climactic point. And I'm hoping, you know, I tell people that, you know, the Rise of Nozzle, this series, it's really not for a skimmer. If you're a skimmer, if you're going to skip every other page or you know every other sentence, you're going to miss so much, and then you're going to be asking me. And people have, um, well, you, you know, why did this happen or why did that happen? And I'll say, well, it was in there. Didn't you read it? Oh, it wasn't in there. Oh, it was. And then so I'll go and I'll find it, and then they're, oh, I missed it. I say, yeah, I know. I said that's okay. I said you're a skimmer. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I said, that's fine. But yes, I mean, I, influences are everywhere. Even my son has influenced me. And <laughs> with different things that, you know, he says and he does and um, some of his little friends. And so it's everywhere. Inspiration is everywhere. You just have to grasp hold of it and then make it into what you want it to be. Yeah. I You know, kind of the, the, the psychologist in me, I look at the people around me and, and you know, I'm a people person in, in terms of watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and so – that really helps me develop characters because, you know, sometimes subtle conversational things, I don't like to do a lot of exposition in my stories. I do like to have, uh, I, 
I, I like to have three-dimensional characters. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I will say one of the things that I'm rightly very, very proud of is that women who have read my work say that all my women sound like women. Ah, um, very good accomplishment. Well, you know, I think it's because I'm a half-black, half-Japanese lesbian living in a man's body, <laughs> um, which could have something to do with it, or it could just be, you know, me wise-assing off again. But, <clears throat> but, but seriously, when, when, you, when someone's trying to write a story, I would think, especially if it's, if it's character-driven, yeah. that you would want to make your, your characters as authentic as possible. Yes. And and we get examples of that everywhere. You know the you know our fellow students in school, neighbors, mm-hmm. um, uh, <clears throat> work associates. You know, watching TV. I mean, look at this ass who's running for president. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. this guy. You know, you look at that and you go, well, how can somebody really be that way? But then when you find out that he's a narcissistic sociopath, it it all becomes clear. Yes. But but understanding personality types, I think, makes me a better writer in terms of putting together characters. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and so you're, you know, you, you kind of, I think introverted people spend more time looking at things around them mm-hmm. rather than engaging. So I think that there's an advantage there. I'm sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, no, hon, I was disagreeing. <laughs> that was all. Um, yeah, so... Um, you know, it, it it was essential to me. That was another thing. Uh, I forget what the scale is um, because uh, I can't remember it. But there's this, you know, the the test that they use to see whether female characters in a movie are. Uh, I don't know. You know, I can't even remember the definition. But but I wanted all my characters to sound like people that we would know or recognize. Even even kind of like the psychotic ones. Mm-hmm. You know. But one of the things that I didn't like, and let me ask you about this. This is a thing that I've noticed about sci-fi movies for the last two generations, that writers, and, and not, not so much books, but sometimes in books, but, but in movies, in science fiction movies, the, the characters are so conveniently crafted. Okay, like a, a you know scientist, you always have to have a scientist that's got some kind of weird personality flaw that makes them want to either blow up the world or create uh, you know uh, I don't know some sort of hybrid Godzilla or something. You know they they write these these characters who don't exist in real life in order to move a story along, and I hated that. So one of the things that I wanted to do was figure out how to craft a story and have the people in it be people that you know, that I know, that, that are recognizable, and then have the story move itself along rather than have some convenient-ass crazy person making something happen. Well, I mean, you understand what I mean, don't you? Yes, yes I do. <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. You know, there are times, okay, let's talk about Luke Cage. All right, there's an easy character in there that you can look at and know that she was just put in there to be the asshole that she is, and that's the new black woman captain. You know, she, I don't know if you saw Luke Cage, but, but, you know, as soon as I saw her in there, I said, oh, here we go again. You know, it's like the, it's the female analog of the black captain of the detectives, you know, like in uh, Lethal Weapon or, uh, or, you know, all of these, 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 these stereotypical people 
who you just stick in there as placeholders, and you don't have to worry about people understanding them because it's a cheap meme that you've used to move your story along. Right. So I, I think that's lazy writing, and I do what I can to stay away from that. Um, how, I mean, how do you feel about crafting your story? Will you take the time to, to create that three-dimensional situation and character that people will understand the motivation for so you don't have to go through and go, well, you know, Marsha Brady was always the one who got the, you know, blah, blah, blah. Jan was always, a, you know, do you see what I'm saying, though? Yes, yes, and, and I, I do. Uh, my characters, and that's one thing that people will say is, you know, they love the characters and the depth of the characters and the fact that they were not one-dimensional or flat. And mm-hmm. because they're, I mean, you can't really, it's, Good and bad, I, I don't think, you know, people try to say, well, are they good, are they bad, you know, is this the you know, protagonist, is this the, you know, you know, whatever, but everyone has a little bit of both in them, and um, so having a character that is completely, I have one character in my uh, second trilogy who is a complete sociopath, oh, okay, he mm-hmm. is, but with him being a complete sociopath, you know, there's also more depth to that character because I show little uh, spurts of his actual human- humanity uh, coming out. And, you know, even my worst characters um, have those good qualities in them. And some mm-hmm. of them, you know, you see them for a long period of time, but then when they start to develop in more layers, you know, you start pulling away more layers, you're like, okay, well, I can understand why they're this way. And, sure. okay, you know, they're not that incredibly bad. Oh, they have, they're bad. You know, they've done some horrible mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. But to them, it's like justification uh, for those things. So, yes, I think that is um, integral to, to the characterization. If you're really wanting to write relatable characters. Now, if you don't really care about making the connection with the readers and having them care about the characters you created, then, well, you wouldn't go through the trouble. But you should definitely yeah. go through the trouble. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that there's all kinds of writing, there's all kinds of genres. And and sometimes you can have a throwaway character and they're just fine. You know, they, they, they do what they're supposed to do. And they get um, <laughs> Yeah, and, and the thing the thing I like about well, especially multi volume writers like you and I, is if you if you want someone to go to the second book, to get your second book, to want to see what happens next I don't think you can be lazy and 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 one-dimensional and and even you know trifling in your writing in order to accomplish that. Um, when when you know that you're writing multi-volume books, let me ask you this: How did you know where the best place is to go and maybe cut off, you know, to to bring a volume to a close? Um, and, and and the I guess my real question is, do you do it in a way that's that makes your volume, you know, the one volume be able to at least stand alone if somebody just reads it and doesn't read another one? Or or have you written in a way that if somebody picks up the second volume in your in your first trilogy, they're they're going to be missing out on some essentials? Well, you know, since you know, like I said, the Rise of Mazel was supposed to be a standalone to begin with, um, all the groundwork was laid there. So, I mean, these 
by the second book, these characters have uh, gone through so much, and they've overcome or they've succumbed to these different things that are going on in Thalon Duel. So when you get them in book two, it's completely different in most cases than they were in the first book. So with mm-hmm. Scorn, actually, I did have to do a little setup and background um, for that as well. So it's a little larger than book three, which is Piercing the Darkness. But I think as far as you know, cutoff points and, and different places to end it, that was a problem with me with the first trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know there was so much going on in the second book that I wanted to lead it where you would absolutely want to go on to book three, but not leave it with you know such this you know this huge cliffhanger that I tend to hate. Um, I just want to know more. I don't want to be left hanging. <laughs> so that was a little bit hard, and I actually did have uh, one of my sisters. Um, said some pretty mean things to me about the way that Seed of Scorn ended. But, sure. um, you know, hey, book three's out there. Go grab it. <laughs> so no who shot J.R. in your books? No, no. Um, <laughs> now you've got me really thinking. <laughs> well, I think that was the first the first real big cliffhanger for television. Oh, you yeah. know. Oh, I was so yeah. angry. <laughs> I, yeah, I hate being manipulated like that. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I've got another thing that I'm kind of curious about. You know, so far you've been writing as a singular. You know, you've been work doing your work on your own. Do you do you see the possibility um, of maybe doing a collaboration anytime, or do you think that maybe you're not suited for that, or the kinds of work you want to do don't lend themselves to to a collaborative effort with somebody else? Um, well, I have a a different kind of style of writing. I honestly do. And uh-huh. um, I don't know if it would uh, mesh well with, with someone else's style. Um, sure. And I can only write the way I write. Um, now, there is a difference between my epic fantasy and my science fantasy, um, simply because that's what I, that's how the character sounded in the epic fantasy. I don't use contractions. Right. And um, there aren't any foul, there's no foul language except for, mm-hmm. I think, two words. Um, but that's just, you know, I don't force anything that doesn't need to be there. <clears throat> sure. And as far as the, you know, the science fantasy, well, I do use contractions, but still you mm-hmm. can tell, even though I use a different um, pen name to separate the epic fantasy and science fantasy, you know that it's me. If you've read something from me, you know that this is also my writing. Stylistically, it's you, yeah. Yes. And I actually did, um, <laughs> and I, I won't talk about this too, too much because um, it's a, a thorn in my side. I actually did help another author to uh, rewrite a book and collaborated with them um, to help make their their series better. And mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. just it just went all to hell. So um, I <laughs> doubt that I. Well, well, <laughs> Well, wait, was it like a person? When you say it went all to hell, I mean, was it a personality thing or was there a clash of styles? Um, uh, no, what, actually, what you... no, actually the, the writer started writing more the way that I write um, instead of the way that she wrote. And, um, you know, I don't know why, but I ended up um, almost completely rewriting one of, one of the books. And, uh-huh. um, I, you know, but I didn't want 
to be recognized for that because as far as I was concerned, that was hers, and I was just kind of helping her out with it because she asked me to. Um, but it was just the experience after the fact because she didn't want anyone to know that I had helped her. And, oh. Um, yeah, because she thought I was going to try to come and take some credit for 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 her work. And it's like if I wanted credit, I, I would have told you that when you asked me. But so it was just, it was horrible. Now, I, I do beta read and alpha read for people and just offer suggestions, you know, like you do. Um, oh, sure. But as far as a collaborative effort, any time in the near future, that will not happen. <laughs> I have learned my lesson. <laughs> I, you know, I, I've done that a little bit for, um, mostly for screenplays. Um, you know, people people give me scripts to be, you know, for me to do script doctoring. But it's not it's not like I have I've never shared a writing assignment or I've written in other people's universes. You know, they they'll give me their their universe and then I'll write a short story that goes in it. But <clears throat> I don't know I don't know if I would be a good candidate for that either. Part of it is just because of the way I work. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I but I, I actually have a, a novel that I, I'm gonna work with with somebody else somewhere down the line. Um and and it seems I don't know, it's we're so early in the process it might work, but that's always a wonder to me whether I would be a good candidate for something like that. Um and, and I wonder how other people do it because, you know, when you have a blending like that, it's not like a comic where somebody does the story and the other person does the inking and the drawing. Right. Um it's it's basically crafting um a uh well, it's crafting a story, you know. I, yeah, it 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 is collaborative. Where I don't know if I'm going to be really good at it. Um, and uh, fortunately, I don't have that many years that uh, that I of writing that I want to do, where I'm going to have to look at it. But I am going to offer up, you know, people who have read uh, any part of the Dark Side trilogy, in either a year or two years, I'm going to put out a call for short story submissions so that people who want to write in the universe can write a short story and then I'm going to create an anthology, put an anthology together so that other people can write in the universe and and uh, show off their talents. Um, but again, that's not like collaborating. It really isn't. Right. Uh, you're doing your own Yeah, story. it is. Um, for, for you, when you look at... Uh, you look at what you do. You, you've learned your process. You do your writing. You mentioned that your son is working on a book. Are you helping him at all, or is he doing that on his own? Um, I helped him with his outline because he didn't have outline a book. And, okay. Um, you know, he's he's only ten. He just turned ten. So, mm-hmm. I you know structurally, I've been helping him along. But the story is his. And um, once it's finished, and I read it over, and I will circle things or highlight things that he'll have to fix because he has to learn the process. So, sure. you know, he's like, Mom, help me. I'm like, no, I'm sorry. You're going to have to learn how to do it, <laughs> you know. And so he's right. doing really, really well with it, actually. And he's very excited. We've already had his character illustrated. And, you know, so that helps because that's something that I do. I have major characters and uh, the maps and um, the different book covers, all his posters, and they're all in my writing area. And sometimes I just look up at those and I look in the eyes of the characters or, you know, whatever, and I just come up with something. You know, it helps me use uh-huh. them better, I guess. 
in some way. Sure. Well, I mean, you know, with your mentoring of him, do you see yourself maybe mentoring in the future? You know, helping other young writers to to maybe get their groove on? Well, um, I could certainly try. I would not be opposed to something like that. I've never, I've had people ask me to help them um, write. And I can't help you write. Um, No. You know, and, you know, everything is specific to you. And you have to feel what's inside of you and try to put that on paper. Now, if you want advice for, you know, different things, I can help with that. But your Mm -hmm. creative process is your own. And you have to understand what that is and bring it forth. Yeah. Yeah, I have people who want me to write their, you know, who want me to write something for them. You know, they want me to write their life story. They want me to write their their life story. <laughs> and I go, I can't, you know, why can't you write your life story? You know you better than me. Right. And they go, but you're a writer. And I go, but I, you know, I can't write your story. You know, first of all, you're boring the hell out of me already. <laughs> um, okay, all right, maybe I'm not the most politically correct. But But the thing is, is, you know, when you... When you set out to to write something, you know you have to you have to know where you're going. You have to figure out your beginning, your middle, and your end. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're writing nonfiction, it's a little bit different because you're kind of like chrono, uh, you know, it's a chronological thing, or you're cataloging experiences. Mm-hmm. But if you're putting together something creative, you know, there's there's a process that has to be followed. Um, it, for some, for me to write somebody's life story, I would have to be like a you know, a biographer and spend time with them and talk to them. And, and in many cases, I mean, I just can't do that. You know, I, I started out writing nonfiction. You know, I would do, uh, you know, technical manuals, uh, articles in, in uh, publications and things like that. And then all of a sudden in 2001, I had a whole lot of time on my hands, got divorced, and I decided, well, maybe I'll just write a book. Um, so I... You know, I'm like you. I don't think I can collaborate well, but I think that, you know, I can maybe mentor other people who want to learn how to write. But I'm not going to, I'm like you, I'm not going to write for them. You know, it's a it's a very intimate process for me. Oh. And, uh, I'm sorry? Oh, no, I was disagreeing with you. I'm sorry. Yeah. I've got to stop. Oh, somebody. I'm sorry. That's I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Somebody, somebody in the chat room says, don't do it. Don't ghostwrite Trump's life story. <laughs> I, you know, I don't do porn. So, oh um, at, at least not stupid porn. My porn is good porn, you know. Um, no, that was hard. I, I have a couple love scenes in, uh, in a couple books. Mm-hmm. And those were not easy, you know, because it, it's got to be compelling for men and women. Oh, that's a good question. What age group? Are you writing toward uh, mature readers? Okay, and uh, mature why? What what's the content that that makes it targeted for mature readers? Okay, um, <laughs> out of about um, I think what is it, 554 pages? Only on uh-huh. about a dozen pages are there you know any scenes with um, um, something sexual or okay. A violation. There's a little torture in there, um, so it's not for younger readers, because if you have a problem with um, consensual sex between adults, and it's not like graphic mm-hmm. sex, but it's still there, or you, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to wince at the you know torture or, or whatever, because yeah, I let you know what happens to the people, and things like that. So it is for a mature reader, and I do like I say, I, I give a warning underneath the blurb that it is for mature readers because of some 
graphic scenes and adult situations. And mm-hmm. for the life of me, I don't understand why people who are offended by those things that I've listed are in there would go ahead and read it anyway and then complain about them being in there. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, people, when I talk about people, you know, and, and I, you know, I know that I am like, I am one porch in a rocking chair away from hollering at kids for getting on my lawn. I mean, I know this. And and people who who read a book, especially you know when you give like if if somebody if a if a movie is rated R, you know there are going to be certain things in it. And then you look on IMDb and people are complaining, oh, you know we had to see somebody's butt or you know whatever their complaint is. Mm-hmm. And and I think that there are just some people out there who are born to or have just decided that they're going to complain about anything. You know they're going to complain about stuff. And, you, and again, this goes back to you can't please everybody, but then there are some really unreasonable people out there who who just are there to bitch, whine, and moan and, and make people's lives miserable. Yeah. Um, have, and, and have you had people actually come to you and, and complain about that? Oh, yes, numerous times. I actually really? I was up for an award, and I, I won't say which one, of course, but I was up for an award, and you know the judges were reading the book, and I actually did ask them before I submitted, was this okay? And I let them know what was in there. And, they're, oh, sure. you know, it's fine, it's fine. And I was like, okay, great. And I go through this whole process, and they are, you know, reviewing. And this. And I get this glowing report back because they're on this, like, five-point system, I think, for these different sections that your book has to have. And sure. I'm going down the list, and it's, you know, five, 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 five. Then it's like a two, and then another five and a five. And... But I got deemed, and I, I wasn't accepted. I didn't make it to the next round. And when I scrolled down a little further, um, you know, there was this write-up about how they enjoyed the book and, you know, the crafting, the characterization, all this wonderful stuff. And then, you know, the but, which negates everything that was just said. So, well, of course. You know, but with the mature content, it was in poor taste. And, you know, something else. I don't remember everything. But in you know just those few sentences, and I'm like, I asked about this beforehand, if this was going to be a problem, and it's not like it's filled with this mature content, but it's integral to the story. So, I mean, I've been deemed in reviews, I've been, um, you know, denied, you know, the award, even though they loved every aspect of the book except for that one section, it wasn't good enough to, you know, for the award. And, you know, I've read other books that actually received the award, and I'm not you know, blowing my own horn, but um, The Rise of Nozzle was much better than those books. <clears throat> sure. And, um, but, you know, I accepted that because <laughs> that was the story I wanted to write, and I don't, um, I'm not going to shy away from truths just because they make you a little uncomfortable. They're part of the story. Wow. And the greater and, and, and And that's where, that's where you have to have your own gumption, and that's where you have to have your thick skin. Oh, yes. You know, there are people who may have written something first and, you know, their first effort and, and they would have gotten what you got and then they would have been, they would have been, you know, devastated. Or worse yet, they would have changed their story, you know, to, to fit the rating system. And, and I can understand that if you want to get your book in a certain place, if the people who are judging you are gatekeepers who you have to get past in order to, to achieve what you want to achieve. But that's a tough one. That's a tough one when someone judges you on something like that, especially when it's 
like the ridiculous situation where you're in, where you go, hey, guess what? I have the word platypus in my book. Is that going to be a problem? No, no, not at all. <laughs> then it comes back and it says, oh, no. Oh, young lady, you put the word platypus in your book, and this shit is no, I mean, excuse me, this is no good. <clears throat> I'm, I'm sorry. You know, sometimes I forget, but it is a P, we're, we're PG. We're, um, we're good. Yeah, we're good. I mean, if if I use the F word, I can only use it once. Like in the movies, in order to not get the R, uh, they say you can use the word. No, I would never do that. <laughs> um, well, I mean, but but yeah, that's that's a tough thing. And I mean, that's the essence of why you want to have beta readers. And you want to have beta readers who are different personalities, different people. Yeah. Like I have beta readers of different uh, races and different ages. And, and <clears throat> Yeah, and knowing who, you know, knowing who they are, when they come back with their critique, I understand the perspective from which they wrote. Right. Um, uh, how many beta readers do you usually have, and, and what, I mean, have you done the same thing? Have you chosen them based on the differences they are and the kinds of personalities they have so that you can best judge, you know, what their slant would be? Well, there are three. But I also use my um, my sisters because they are harsher than anyone else will ever be. And, I mean, as far as, you know, different reviews and stuff, I've been almost brought to tears by the stuff they said. So, I mean, I do, I use, I have one male and two females that are standard that um, read everything. And right. And their uh, critiques are interesting because with, like, the more, I'll say graphic, but it's not really that graphic. The more graphic bits that are in there, my my male beta is, you know, he's all gung-ho for that. He's like, more, more. But, sure. <laughs> you know, the two females are like, okay, that's, you know, this one was a little bit, you know, too much or, or that. And I actually have um, had the book edited again because I was trying to reduce word count. And I almost mm-hmm. lessened some of those scenes. They're still there. It's just less. That's all. Right. Yeah. Uh, yes, and I I do consider who they are <clears throat> and where they're from, and um, in two of the cases I know their background, and so mm-hmm. you know, and that helps too. Yeah. So it's yeah. A, a broad audience because, and I tried to write all of the series at a a high school level. Sure. So, sure. But when a word comes up and you know someone <clears throat> points it out to me, and I'm like, you know what? When I was younger and I was reading, if I didn't know a word, I wouldn't look the damn word up. Oh, sorry. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, I'd go and look the word up. So how are you going to increase your vocabulary if everything has to be dumbed down? Yeah. No, this level, you know, the high school level, it should be okay. Yeah, except that, you know, accessibility. You you definitely want it accessible to, you know, since you, you, you kind of want to focus on at least young adult and, and older, you know, there there are certain concessions that you make just stylistically so that it, it's accessible to a younger mind. Mm-hmm. And and it's not you know it's not offensive or appeals to Purian interests or things like that. Well, um, we'll, we'll eighteen and up. The readers are eighteen and up. They have to be. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I don't want to use um, you know twelve syllable words or anything like that. It, but you know sometimes it just comes to you that way and you write it. And I mm-hmm. want to specifically go through and, and change words because I don't think that they will grasp the meaning, because I give my readers more credit than that. And mm-hmm. um, they are smart, and they can pick up on these things. And if it's a word that you don't know, grab your you know, cell phone and just type it in Google. It's easier now than it was back in the day. You know, no kidding. You know, figure out what a word is. 
So, um, but I don't think anyone's really had major issues with that. I've never had a, that was a beta issue. It was never um review, uh, you know, issue. Yeah, once it was published or anything like that. Yeah. Right, right. Well, I mean, that's great. Um, oh, by the way, you know, you're you're kind of in the south part of the state. You ever get up this way? Oh, all the time. I have family up in La- in Naperville. Really? Uh-huh. <laughs> so shall we have lunch? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> no, I'm serious because, you know, um, last, week, mm-hmm. last week, uh, Rod Van Blake was here, and he's, he's down in St. Thomas, lives down there, helps his mom with, the, with her real estate. And the two of them were in town, and I got to spend, you know, like three and a half, four hours with them, um, getting to talk with him. He, he was gracious enough to give me an inscribed copy of uh, his, his uh, latest and greatest novel. And so I always tell people, hey, if, uh, if I can meet you here, I'll buy you lunch or something like that. Um, because for me, the best part about doing this, this, this show is getting to meet the, all, I mean, the, the creatives that I have. I mean, when we look back, we've got, I think, um, well, we've got three years' worth of shows. So if we assume that on average we're looking at 50 or so a, a year, um, there's, I've, I've met and interviewed, you know, 120, 130 people who are, are creatives in their own right. And it's very exciting for me. I mean, it was great meeting you. Um, and, and also knowing that you're going to be helping out um, uh, yes. <laughs> on, on um, what you call it, uh, Earth Squadron. That, that is so cool to me because it's, it's a project that, you know, it's close to my heart even though at this point my, my contribution is almost over unless they need some more voices. Um, so uh, we're coming to the end of the show, and I want to pull Jarvis in because uh, a lot of people do want to know what's going on with Earth Squadron. Yes. Um, and uh, uh, do me a favor, after we stop recording the show, if you can stay online and... Um, we can we have an after show. We we just chat afterwards, and it's to to you know I'm I'm not going to lie. It's bait to <laughs> entice people to, to to listen to the show live because then they get more. You know they get the extras. We're that's like our DVD extras. That's what that is. <laughs> so okay. so do that. Yeah, do that, and then uh, we'll we'll hit up each other up on BSFS as friends. The next time you come up this way and have a little bit of time, um, I'll take you to the best. Um, the best uh, pizza place downtown. Ooh, okay? Chicago Do you like pizza? Love pizza. Oh, man. I found this place, and it's like, you know, they got, they, it's like they got crack pizza, you know? You just, you, <laughs> I always get a bigger one than I want to eat, you know, with all with all the people so I ha- I can take some home. Yeah. But but I do want to thank you. I mean, uh, for those of you who are, who who don't know, haven't, you know, didn't see the, uh, the message or anything, um, this is Erin Michael Hall we've been talking to. She's delightful. She's uh, She's got, uh, 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 you know, like two male names at the beginning. You know, you can figure that out, try to figure out what that means. Um, and it's been a delight interviewing you. I want to thank you for, for being here. Well, thank you. <clears throat> which is um, Melo and I for thank you for having me. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, uh, it's seriously, it it is my honor for us to... You know, to be able to, for me to be able to talk to people who who are creative, who are doing things, you know, black folks who are doing uh, creative things in sci-fi, fantasy, and horror, and actually getting it done. 
that yes, that's yes. the thing. And the other thing is there's there's such a huge number of people doing it that this is a great place to find folks you wouldn't find otherwise. Exactly. You know, how else would you know? Very, very true. Because there are so yeah. many, so many. Yeah. So I want to thank you for being here. Um, I'm going to uh, see if Jarvis is near his microphone so I can pull him in. Because we do, I mean, since we've got you here um, for the, uh, you know, you are voice talent for Earth Squadron, uh, I think Jarvis should tell, be able to tell everybody where we are with the project. So tell us, Jarvis, what's new and exciting in Earth Squadron? Yes. <laughs> hey, how you doing? Um, new and exciting. The new and exciting part is all the spaceships have been created. All the aliens have been created. The, the uh, locations are completed. Now we've moved into the voiceover stage. So that's the next phase. That's new and exciting for me because we picked out all of the different voice actors for the different uh, different characters. And uh, most of them um, have been sent their bio cards and uh, the preliminary graphic of what their character is going to look like. Oh, but that's you cool. You haven't received yours yet, Dr. Thornson. <laughs> <laughs> So there's definitely a place for you, Will. So you well, thank you. You have the script, so you can kind of peek back and like, okay, who's Doctor Sorensen again? <laughs> and that's you. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll have to borrow all of our good uh, all of, I'll have to borrow the audio equipment from my um, my film production team so that I could give you some clean audio to work with. Okay. And uh, oh, and somebody's asking, uh, what renderer are you using? I guess for your, your graphics. Don't get me the line right now. We're using the um, – we're actually, we have uh, iClone version 5.5 5 currently, but over the weekend we're upgrading to iClone 6, which mm-hmm. um, is going to drastically increase the uh, visual uh, capabilities of the film. I mean, the, the, audio, the, the video was great, good, but now it's going to be even greater – because of the new software, which has put us in a position where um, we have to upgrade our systems. We had um, probably about a half dozen rendering systems uh, for the old system, for the old software, but now we're in the process over this weekend of making one um, super high-speed rendering system. And so we, uh, and that's, me and Quasi have been working on this for, randomly for the last six months. So we got all the hardware in place and we're upgrading the operating system to um, 64-bit so that it can handle the new software. So um, we're just using the regular iClone um, iClone renderer. No, mm-hmm. no, nothing, uh, no, this is not like silicon graphics <laughs> systems or um, Disney or anything, but you can do quite a bit with the system that we have now. Plus, like I said, with upgrades, the visual detail will probably be, probably be quadruple in terms of polygons and detail. So Very you can nice. look, forward to, look forward to that. Very cool. 
you know, one of the things you, you might want to do is um, in the Earth Squadron portion, either on uh, the Earth Squadron site or maybe on BSFS, is to to keep a running, you know, kind of a running list of what the current hardware and software is to let people what, know what you're doing in terms of, um, you know, in, in terms of production. You know, because okay. a lot of people would love to know that, you know, what operating system are you using, what uh, graphics uh, processors are you using, uh, what, how much RAM, you know, <laughs> CPUs and things like that. Mm-hmm. Because there are a lot of people who want to do what you guys are doing and, and are more at the beginning of their learning process in order to put stuff together. I think that would be greatly informative and, and kind of keep people checking back to see what's new and exciting. Oh, cool. And um, that that you're you're right on you're right on point with that. And there's also I probably need to drop some details on some of the new uh, graphics that we've we've um, been able to put together with, in terms of ships and things of that nature that we just finished. Actually, and um, actually those graphics were done by Alonzo Von Three and um, and uh, Wayne. On our mm-hmm. team, so mm-hmm. I, I need to post, yeah, I need to thank you for reminding me I need to post some more up to date videos and um graphics of what we've been up to okay uh, let me ask you this project, um okay. because it was delayed, and I think things happened for a reason, and I'm glad that it the project was delayed a bit because, like I said, the old um software that we were using it, it everything looked great. And everything looked good. Let me say that everything looked good. And so now things can look great. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah. You know, I just looked at one of the, ooh, what was it? Um, uh, Starship Troopers. Mm-hmm. The oh, fourth Starship one. The, the, the fourth 3D, one. The 3D. Yeah. And, yeah. And, um, you know, from some of the drawings that I've already, or some of the renders that you've already done, I think we're working at a better resolution than even they had. I you think um, I've, I've used both uh, Starship Troopers and Halo as the gauge for the level of animation that we want to do. Because Very good. you don't, don't come with, you know, some old outdated stuff and then um, the current standard of animation looks this way and your stuff looks that way. We have a great story already, so I want to make sure that the visuals match the the story. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, have, uh, have you had to do any rewrites? Um, <laughs> no, only uh, only the closest to rewrites that have been done may have been a, a name change here or there. But like I oh, said, okay. the, story, the story is rock solid. And some people are used to change this. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> you know, wow. we've been working on this project for I think four years now, from yeah. the script to getting you know the um, storyboards and all these characters and environments and everything made. Uh, you you kind of want to you kind of want to stay on the map, you know, right. as far as like you know you you can can do these different things, but is it? it are the changes necessary to move the story? And if they aren't, then you know those changes won't be made. But well, I'm happy to hear that. Some, some things may be added on in in future 
um, iterations of the movie or whatever. But right now, that story is rock solid, and we're going to move with it. Very cool. All right, well, the clock on the screen tells me that we're a couple minutes over, which is no big deal. Um, Well, you know, uh, again, uh, I want to thank our special guest, Erin Michael Hall. Uh, Check out her book. She's got her first trilogy out on Amazon, and it's – are they just Kindle editions, or do you have hard copy, too? I also have the paperback editions. All right. Paperback. Very cool. So whatever you like, if you like to hold your books – (laughs) <laughs> Great. If you want to check it out on Kindle, um, they're both available. And, and really, thanks again for being here. Okay. And uh, we'll we'll hook up later, and, and hopefully one day we'll we'll actually get to meet. I love meeting um, the people that I've, I've gotten to interview. I actually, when I went to uh, the WorldCon, which is actually called MidAmericon 2 down in Kansas City, yeah. I ran into a couple of people who I had interviewed from around the country. Um, and it was, it, it's so cool. It is it, so it cool is. because, I'm sorry? Oh, and I was agreeing. I said it is. Yeah. Um, and do, do us a favor. If you do travel, if you're going to appear anywhere, uh, be at any of these conventions, um, please uh, think about posting up in the events calendar on BlackScienceFictionSociety.com so, yes. so your fans can have the opportunity to, to meet you. Yes, um, I'm getting better. I'll be at a lot of places in 2017, and I'll make sure to post everywhere. All right. Yeah, and just be, yeah, very nice. And and just be careful of stalkers, okay? <laughs> Don't stalk me, William. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm at the, you know, I got to get the ankle bracelet off first. Um, so everyone who listened live, thank you very much. Appreciate your support. Thank you for listening time and time again. Those who you pick it up as a podcast, again, thank you to you too for supporting. And uh, I think we're going to, I, th- I think it's pretty safe to say that we're going to try to keep the quality of the show up. It's the only two-hour interview show on, um, on the Internet that I've found where you actually get to learn a lot about, you know, a creative in uh, science fiction, fantasy, and horror, whether it's writing, whether it's music, whether it's art. Um, so please tell your friends about it, and uh, again, just thank you for support for your support. All right, thanks everybody. We appreciate you. Thank All right, you. and and everybody, hold on after we end the in the uh, in the recording. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. <laughs> bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.